scientists. Over the years, I have talked to many people who are on some type of bioidentical hormones. These have to be made in a compounding pharmacy. During this weekend's Gesundheit with Jacobus, I will have Tim and Kathy Calcagno in the studio. They are owners of the Montana Compounding Pharmacy in Missoula, where many of you have received your medications from. Tim is the actual pharmacist, and his story will be fascinating. It's Gesundheit with Jacobus. Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I hope you are strapped in and ready to go because there's a lot that we are going to talk about today regarding compounding pharmacy, uh, what that means and what it can do for you. First of all, a quick update on the weather. We are kind of cloudy out. Uh, they're expecting some sun. Bozeman currently sitting at 52 degrees. We are expecting a high of 67. So that is wonderful. We're talking health, healing, and healthy lifestyles on this program every Saturday morning from 8 to 11. want to let you know that as we have the experts in the studio and we get totally into the stories and into the interview, the purpose of the show is education, information, and hopefully some entertainment. It's not the purpose for us to diagnose, treat, or cure. So don't call the show and say, you know, when I press in my neck, it hurts in my abdomen, what do I need to do? We just cannot help you on that. We may take a stab at it, uh, no pun intended, but we are not telling you what your disease is. Always recommend that you see the guest or talk to the guests after the program. We give our telephone numbers and information and or that you see a physician of your choice and or that you go to the library, find some very interesting books on the topic, or go on the internet and do some searching. So there are different options for you to improve your health one day at a time. And that has been the, the, the purpose of the show. When we started, it was all about how can we give you some hints and keys to improve your life starting today. So not just for yourself, body, mind, or spirit, but also for those close to you. So once again, I appreciate you are tuning in today. And uh, this is uh, May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo. I hope you have survived the night and that you are ready to chat with us. Let me tell you a little bit about my guests. Guests. Uh, Tim Calcagno's experience as a pharmacist has been extensive. After receiving his degree from the University of Arizona in 1970, he started working with Thrifty Drug, Inc., and in 1977, he opened his own pharmacy called Earl Neal Pharmacy while continuing his education. Sixteen years later, in 1993, Tim decided to make a lifestyle change. He sold the business and he went to work for Savon Osco Drugs until 1996, after which he, his wife Kathy, and the family moved to Montana. Tim Calcagno has always enjoyed the practice of compounding medications and customized pharmaceutical medicines. Today, he and Kathy own the Montana Compounding Pharmacy located in Missoula. Kathy Calcagno also owns Thermography of Montana, with which she visits this area 
on a regular basis. For you to find Montana Compounding Pharmacy, they are in Missoula at 111 North Higgins Avenue. 111 North Higgins Avenue. There is an 800 number you can call. It's 800-600-2009-2009. 1-800-600-2009. Or you can call them direct at 406 542 2888 2888 and just want to let you know that even though they have a website which is montana compounding rx.com the uh it's not completely up to date uh good morning both of you good, good morning, morning. all right wonderful to have you i just uh, appreciate and you drove all the way from missoula just to be here just to be with you yeah you might have to move that microphone Kathy, oh, okay. like I said. <laughs> just to be with me oh, there you go it's uh, wonderful now this is really a a um uh, it is a very clear topic but at the same time it's kind of confusing topic tim yes um, it is compounding pharmacy um what is a compounding pharmacy, especially compared with a regular pharmacy? That's a question that I've toyed with for years, trying to come up with a succinct answer. And it's it's kind of difficult, but I kind of can break it down into we tailor medication for a specific patient as ordered by a physician. So okay. we basically start from scratch and uh, tailor it so that it is a dosage form that the patient uh can tolerate and uh that would work yeah so that is i you know it was so interesting because i i went on uh, i went on wikipedia i said what is it <laughs> you know if right. you can't trust wikipedia who can you trust that's right? right but this has a very interesting history because what you're doing is the original form of what pharmacy was all about true there were those people who just were interested in helping other people and looked for for minerals and plants and herbs and roots and they started making these combinations which we would consider now simple herbology but it has progressed from there and we're talking i think the year 700 or so is when they started oh very early i mean you think back the indians and and their their history and stuff and basically everything was derived from what plants they found yeah and so as science progressed they were starting to to be able to isolate some of the uh qualities of a plant yeah. and came up with like in belladonna they were able to pull the active ingredients and stuff but this took time years yeah. and years and years mm, the uh yeah so this is and and it goes over different cultures i think that the persians were really early or the uh, middle middle east it started and chinese uh, the chinese the uh, and they uh, opium for example was one of these uh, herb well herbs uh, these these extracts i would say plants right that was used for many medications exactly and that study when we were in school was a study of pharmacognosy which is a study of drugs derived from plants i see and that has changed. Right now, they'd <laughs> hardly even teach it anymore because it's so, so pharmacy has evolved so much. Yeah. But the interesting thing is it's also, like anything, it comes back to its origins eventually. So some of the drugs that were popular back in the 50s and 60s um, that lost popularity because of the new drugs developed by the drug companies, they're starting to come back mm -hmm. in different dosage forms, different, uh, different usages. What was it for you that you wanted to do the compounding pharmacy 
instead of after after pharmacy school, can I call it pharmacy school? Yeah, sure. Well, you did it at the University of Arizona. So what was your study exactly then? Was it pharmacy school? Yes, it was school of pharmacy. But back then in the the 60s, late 60s, they were still teaching the origins of of medication. So that's where pharmacognosy. In fact, at the University of Arizona, there was a, uh, a lab. Mm-hmm. And it was sponsored by some of the drug companies where they would go out in the desert, bring plants back, and actually do analytical tests on the drugs, try, I mean, on the plants, yeah. trying to extract drug products. And the drug, the drug companies actually paid for these studies mm-hmm. with hopes that they would find a new drug. I wonder then if some of the products that I carry in the store that have extracts in it in the nutrition center, like uh, ginkgo biloba, or valerian root, right, or hawthorn berries with the extract is that kind of a pharmacy, kind of in the in the realm of compounding pharmacy, probably They're able to extract something and put it back into uh, into a capsule. Absolutely, sure, yep, yeah, that's true. And in fact, when you think back on pharmacy, when I recently looked at a timeline of how compounding evolved, and and originally in the late seventeen hundreds. Physicians were actually compounding pharmacists as yeah. well because they there was no pharma- technology and there were no pharmacists yeah. at the time. So the doctors would actually create medications for their patients. Mm. And as time developed, uh, I think in the early 1800s is when pharmacists started to evolve, and they took over the compounding portion of doing medications where the physicians did the diagnosis. Okay, so it, it's over the years it keeps evolving into more and more things. But now you say we have evolved to the point, well, I can, we open up the newspaper and we see there are problems with the overprescribing of drugs and the misuse of drugs. And thinking about this topic, I realized that if you use pro- compounding pharmacy uh, correctly, there would never be an overdose because there is no drugs available anywhere except when you would get them out of the hands of the pharmacist who works together with the doctor. There is this... I think you triad. call it a triangle. Triad. Yeah, it's yes. called a triad. Yep. But now you could steal it from somebody else or you can go find them. You can go online and get medications and simply get the fentanyl or the heroin or the opioids if you have a way to get there. But that would never happen in compounding pharmacy because you literally just make it for the person who is in front of you. It, typically, yes. Yeah. I mean, everybody figures out a way to beat the system. So, it, But if it's operating and, and the correct method, it's not abusable. Hmm. Wow. So. How, how, if you would say, well, let me first ask you. So you did the pharmacy school. Yes. When did you start thinking about compounding pharmacy as a profession instead of moving into the whole into regular pharmacy? Because I understand that the, the 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 modern pharmacy as we know it today started somewhere in the fifties. So you may have thought when you were ten years later in school that maybe you know what I want to be part of this wave and I want to this is my future. Uh, I mean, sometimes when something is new, people jump on it and they want to make a living out of it. But you dis- when did you decide to work with compounding pharmacy when i graduate well first of all i loved chemistry chemistry was the reason i went into pharmacy school was one of the reasons i went into pharmacy school um and with regular pharmacy you don't today's pharmacy you don't use chemistry at all anymore and so i basically after working seven years for thrifty drugstore saw the handwriting on the wall with insurance companies coming in and and uh, 
taking over actual uh, cost reimbursements, things like that, dictating what kind of medication patients could take and which they would pay for and which they wouldn't pay for. Uh And I kind of got fed up with regular pharmacy right away. I enjoyed the chemistry part. So when I opened my my first store in Los Angeles, it was in a medical building. Yeah. And the medical building was six stories, and the average age of the doctors of that medical building were probably in their 60s. Huh. These guys probably graduated at age 30 and started their practices, and they practiced with older docs that probably graduated in the late 30s. Mm-hmm. These docs were trained by guys that graduated in the in the teens right so everybody was handing down specialized formulas from the era that they were in yeah so the doctors that i worked with in that medical building had a ton of different compounding formulations dr prever's throat drops dr wall's throat spray um Uh because that's what they were trained in when they were interning with these physicians before maybe they bought their practice okay so our pharmacy was set up to do compounding for these types of uh, prescriptions. Huh. So I enjoyed that. I mean, it made a lot of sense to me that you could do something like this specifically for this patient, specifically for this illness or, you know, uh, yeah, I'll call it an illness, but mm-hmm. condition. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very rewarding, extremely rewarding. And we were very close to Hollywood. So the added bonus of this was that these docs were in town for so long, I mean, practicing for so long, Sure, we would get Hollywood uh, people yeah. that would be our patients. Okay. So uh, that also made it kind of fun when Edward so. G. Robinson's wife walked in to get a prescription or Don Knotts came in to get a prescription. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I can name a ton of different Hollywood people that would come in. So this all kind of added to the fun part of, of what to we were doing. To the charming part of exactly. what you were doing, yes. Yeah. And that was, at this point, the compounding part already. Yeah, we were, doing, we were doing everything. This was a pharmacy that did traditional prescriptions. I say traditional, today's type of prescriptions. Correct. I look at compounding as really traditional, but nobody else does. Yeah. Um, so we were doing both, and I actually began again to start seeing what insurance companies were doing to pharmacy yeah uh and explain that a little bit maybe well they, if you can the the uh, what you understand what is happening and why that has turned the industry around okay several things originally cost of medication was probably in the three or four dollar range so you had a prescription for a patient that basically cost the pharmacist three dollars yeah. to to just have it and the insurance company said okay We'll pay you the $3 for the medication. We'll pay you the cost of your medication, and we'll allow you to charge $3 above that cost. Okay. And that's what will reimburse you for a prescription. Yes. Okay. Over time, the cost of medication started going up. And so I think in 19... Oh, I don't know. It wasn't 19. In 2014, the average prescription cost cost was $268. Wow. For a trade name prescription. Wow. Your reimbursement at $3 copay or yeah. above cost really didn't pay for it. That's no, like of course not. 10% markup. Yeah. Of course, your cost of everything in the building, in the store, was going up as well. You bet. So 
that kind of turned me off on doing any kind of insurance. And the compounding, again, was the most rewarding part. But so the insurance company started to determine what the price could be? Not only what the price could be. Because they should know the raw material. Yeah, they do. They, they know what the cost of the raw material is. Okay. The, the insurance company does. Sure. Okay. Yeah. okay. And so then they know what, obviously. So then they say, this product can be this much, and they, they know what the wholesale cost is. Exactly. And they, so they determine what the profit margin is going to be. Basically, they tell you what you can charge above that. Yes. Yep. Mm. Okay. So. So it, what happens... I mean, I'm, I'm, there's so much that I want to ask you. Sure, but do. Let's jump into the modern day. How, how is it possible people can order medication online these days? How well, is that possible? Because well, With an insurance. So does insurance pay for that if it is online? Or yeah, they people can. people running over to Canada and trying to get it from Canada? The Canadian drugs are probably still made by most American companies. Okay. But Canada has a price they tell the they tell the drug companies how much that they're going to pay for those medications. So it, in in Canada's case, they if you charge too much, they won't they won't let you in the country. Basically, I see. from what I know, I don't know the whole situation, but I do know that American made products are cheaper in Canada <laughs> because of the Canadian. You know, they just said we won't pay that much. Mm. So. Mm. Currently, mm-hmm. if you, you look at uh, how many, let's talk about regular medication for okay. a moment, that we know the mass, and we're going to explain a little bit more in the next segment. How many medications approximately were there when you came out of school, and how much do we have today? How many approximately do we have today? I don't have an exact figure, no. but, but I would say 80% of the drugs that were available in the 70s yeah are are no longer in favor they're very seldom are they used anymore really they've been replaced by more um evolved type medications okay i mean in, in the 80s is when the drug companies began to make their move they switched from um I'm trying to. They really got into investigational, spending lots and lots of money on research, and so the newer drugs. And if you look at even watching TV today, yeah, you look at the number of drugs that they're advertising on TV. You bet. And and the big group right now are the MABs, MAUB, all the drugs that end in MAUB, all the drugs that have the same ending, all have the same side effects. But it's interesting that one drug company would come up with the number one. M-A-U-B, yeah, for example? Yeah, I can't think of any of the new drugs yeah, because well, we don't do it anymore. <laughs> Turn on TV tonight and you'll see it. Okay. And, and five different MAB drugs came out from five different companies. Huh. It's like somebody leaked something and all these drugs come out. Yeah. They're all same side effects, uh, autoimmune disease problems, uh, but they do good things but there's major risk with them but the, the point being is they spent a lot of time um investigating new drugs so the older drugs are the ones that uh, are sort of gone by the wayside huh the, the potency isn't there anymore or is it uh, the ingredients are not no longer available or is it uh, there's no more financial interest what is it sometimes it's financial interest sometimes the drugs were borderline making them money and so they stopped making it and so it is not about side effects that the side effects were such that they've discovered after years so that they had to get rid of them typically not 
Really? Okay. Huh. If if there was a drug that was the only type of drug and it had major side effects, they would still use it in certain cases because it was the only cho- choice that they had. Wow. Huh. That is really something. So what? I got several books at the store that right. talk about how many drugs we have, and then it explains what it is and side effects and what you use it for and what you cannot use it with and right. what you have to tell your doctor before you use it and all that stuff. And right. I don't even think anybody, I show people sometimes these pages and they go like, I got that and I <laughs> eat that. And well, how come the doctor doesn't tell you? So there is, there is so much on the market these days. And sadly enough, I, I realized that what you're doing with the compounding, as you also told me last night, to have that to work with the triad of the doctor, the pharmacist, the patient. Correct. But you have direct contact with the patient, and you can therefore tell the patient, these are some things you want to be careful with, et cetera, et cetera. So you have much more direct contact about that specific medication that you just made instead of handing somebody a pill of a mass market of mass pharmacy. And, and that's partly why I chose what I chose as right. far as doing compounding because the reason I went into pharmacy was because of the patient interaction uh-huh. and helping patients. So when you're in a chain store, in most cases, doing seven or 800 prescriptions a day, you don't have that chance to spend the time you want. I see. Wow. This is a big topic. Thank you. The yes. more I think about it, yeah. I, don't. <laughs> Lots of I got, I got a bunch of questions that we can go through, but this is very interesting. Kathy, I know you haven't said anything yet that is rare. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim Maybe. is on a roll. I let him talk. He's on a roll. Well, yeah. what can I add? <laughs> You'll get involved. Yes, you will. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, Gesundheit with Jacobus. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, more with Tim and Kathy Kalkekno, owners of the Montana Compounding Pharmacy in Missoula. So please uh, stay tuned. We're going to be right back. What is the difference between a compounding pharmacy and a regular pharmacy? Basically, a, uh, both the, the training for both of us, uh, or both entities, is, is the same basic training. We're both, or all, I'm going to say both, we're all pharmacists, we're all trained the same way. Um, compounding, regular pharmacy actually dispenses medication made by the manufacturer. Compounding pharmacies actually make the medication we start from powders we start from liquids we mix them with creams or uh, any number of other things whereas a regular pharmacy dispenses pre-made medication so where do you get your raw materials from there are wholesalers out there that uh, in the united states only or do you get it from uh, from india or pakistan or china or anything where, where would you get it from they're europe they're sourced from many different countries as well as the united states uh-huh. most of the companies the wholesaler companies that sell raw materials, the powders, um, are very careful about not ordering from China unless it's the only source. And then, of course, it has to go through FDA inspection before it gets into the country. And the wholesalers that we know of, Letco, PCCA, all do their own individual analytical testing of a product that gets brought to their if it doesn't pass the specifications then they refuse the order so everything is checked depending if it's from europe if it's from canada if it's from the united states they all go through quality assurance testing okay the um the rainforest Mm -hmm. has been known to be an unbelievable source of amazing compounds 
Do you get things from the rainforest in a pure, unadulterated form as part of your compounds? Not to my knowledge. At this point, no. I don't I don't know of anything at this point that's coming from the rainforest. Because I know there are quite a few pharmaceutical companies that, that spend a lot of money to cut down the forest, right? Exactly. To get some certain extracts that they wanna that they wanna use. It's gone it's what I said before. It's reverting back to what it used to be, going back to plants, pharmacognosy, going back to the sourcing of individual drugs from from plant sources. So what they do is they try to find a active component out of one of these plants from the rainforest or anywhere else that they get the plant. And if they can isolate this ingredient, then they'll try to duplicate it. Okay. Um, why they keep tearing down the rainforest, I don't know. But I mean, they, I, they do. I but. think if I could, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I the big difference between what you do and what a pharmaceutical company does, the big pharma creates a need you fulfill a need <laughs> very good very well said yes it's true because it's a business yes. and and we often complain about that pharmacy the pharmacies are so expensive to medication like you mentioned 250 bucks or 260 dollars average mm -hmm. currently for medication uh, we look at uh, chemotherapy drugs that are twenty thousand dollars a month it, it, it the pills i mean even viagra 60 or 65 dollars a pill uh the, the medications are just out of this world the the not only the choices but the, med the 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 price on them and so they it seems to me that people because of the insurance company as you mentioned earlier they can pretty much ask whatever they want so it is the insurance company that sets the price knowing therefore that people will probably start paying more premiums and um, you know they make it's kind of they keep each other in business and what i feel with you is you work with the physician who says this is a patient who has an allergy or who has a problem they need this kind of med uh, medication can you put that together for the person so you pretty much make the order we do in fact we can if we can't source the actual active ingredient because it's still on patent we can actually take if the physician wants that patented drug changed into a different, say, uh, administration route. In other okay. words, if it comes in a capsule and they want it topical, we can actually use the manufactured product huh. and extemporaneously compound it into a dosage form the doc wants. And in some cases, that's what happens. So you, you will have to, let's say somebody says, I cannot swallow this tablet but I need it, I have a gag reflux or anything, they could come to you, you find the materials that make up that tablet, take out the possible allergens or whatever they have, and then put it in a form that is absorbable for the person. Typically usable. not that detailed. Okay. Um, if that you person, take a hammer and you slam it. Well, and, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and pulverize it. Pulverize and, it. And then we can actually incorporate it into a different vehicle. Okay. Sure. And, and we have done it that way. Okay. Not, not, not actually using a sledgehammer or anything, yeah. but we'll use a mortar and pestle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And we'll break them up and do that. And, um, and because that's the only source of the active ingredient. While it's still patented, the actual source, the drug, um, we can only use the the in fact just to give you a sideline when prozac came out yeah 
the active ingredient is unavailable, just the capsule Prozac is available. Well, we have veterinarians that want to use Prozac for cats. Cats tend to, okay. to go through streaks sometimes where they get a little bit nuts and the patient can no longer, the owner has trouble controlling the cat, either wetting, you know, peeing in corners, that kind of thing. They mm-hmm. get into that situation. Um, we actually only had the availability of the Prozac capsules. We would open the Prozac. We could do the calculations. We could figure out how to... How many make milligrams were in there? Exactly, and we could make, say, a topical ear ear gel yeah. that the patient could actually rub into the cat's ear, and hopefully the medication would work to keep the cat from peeing in the corner of the house. Yeah, yeah. So in that case, once that medication, once the uh, patent wore off on the drug, then all of a sudden the powder, the pure powder becomes available. Once you get the pure powder, you can make a much better, elegant type product because you don't have the fillers Mm -hmm. and you just you're working with the actual um Mm -hmm. raw material of the active ingredient i see but in a tight squeeze you can do the 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 actual medication Mm -hmm. the the trade name product what is your feeling uh tim uh folks tim calcagno is my guest uh kathy calcagno is with us also we'll get her involved in the conversation it's going to be fun (laughs) she always says something wise to say, yes, Kathy is. has been on the show a few times. Yes, talking I have. about tomography of Montana. Yeah, and um, so Tim and Kathy own the Montana Compounding Pharmacy in Missoula. If you have a question, five two two eight two five five, or send me a text at two six six seven six one seven two sixty six seventy six seventeen. Uh, also, if you have a medication that you maybe got from Montana Compounding Pharmacy, you have a question, just give a call. It would be interesting to find out. Um, and now, of course, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, what do you feel is the reason why so many of today's drugs, why do you have so many side effects? What is your take on that? Uh, okay, I have to tread lightly on this one. No, it, it, yeah, I, I, I'm just saying, is, yeah. it, is, it the, is it the mixture of ingredients? Is it the fillers that they used? Is it uh, is it a, could be a, a misdiagnosing whereby maybe people are there's too many medication too many milligrams in the in the product? What is it? Well, first of all, I, I think side effects are, are a natural thing with any medication Good that you point. take. Sure. Um, the degree of side effects really uh, depends if if a product comes to market. If it's a serious side effect, then they have to weigh the the intended use of the product versus the side effect profile. Um, if it's the only drug in town sort of for a life-threatening uh, drug, yeah. say the AIDS AIDS epidemic back sure. in the 80s, yeah, yeah, yeah. they rushed into getting AZT or retrovir on the market. Yeah. Since then, they've developed probably 20 different antiretroviral uh, medications. But when the drug first came out, it had tremendous side effects. Uh-huh. But because it was the only drug in town at the time, yes. they the FDA allowed Burroughs Welcome to release the drug early, pending uh, the, the normal drug testing period of one or two years that yeah. the FDA requires. Because it was the only drug in town, it had side effects, but it still helped cut down on the retroviral or the viral action. They were able to release it early, and in that case. 
because it was the only drug in town, it had side effects, but it got onto the market and it did tremendous. It helped tremendously yeah. with the AIDS thing. And then from that, other drugs were developed. Mm. So it really does depend on the type of, of illness and what's available to use. Side effects are going to be there. It's just how bad are they? You had another part of the question that I well, sort of lost. No, well, we can we can jump into that. Um, you are kind of an old alchemist. You you put compounds together and you create. Still something. hasn't made the gold. <laughs> he hasn't figured out. No, no still looking for that <laughs> formula. <laughs> well, let me know where you find yeah, it. You will. I'll be your best friend. There you go. <laughs> um, when you, in a way, are a compounding pharmacist is like going back to the olden days when you do some research and you try to figure out what works and what can help somebody. Do you have still some of that creativity in your being? Uh, is that still something you say, you know, when you hear a problem, you, you start thinking right away, I need some of this and some of that and some of that? Or are you being dictated what exactly the milligrams, everything you need to put together, and then you just follow orders? Uh, a little of both. Okay. Okay. Um, the physician still is involved, obviously. He is still the diagnoser and the prescriber. Sure. They, uh, the, the longer I've been in practice, the more they use me to get feedback. Okay. Um, hormone replacement therapy, uh, transdermal pain medications. Yeah. Um, things like that. So we do consulting with the physicians. A lot of times the physicians will call and say, Tim, this is what we've got. Um, if you got anything that, that you can recommend. And um, I think that's also a fun part of what I do is because it's gotten to the point now where we communicate on a, on a even, even keel as far as compounding. Okay. Yeah, because the doctors don't know all the ingredients that go into a medication. No, and that's been the case for years. I mean, because the, they're they're working on the diagnosis, and if you've noticed over the years, even physicians have specialized. You used to have GPs, yes, and now you've got internists versus GPs, and then yeah. you've got cardiologists and exactly. endocrinologists, and yeah. So the specialization yeah. has gotten much more, and, and I think for the patient's sake, it's worked. Uh, you'd rather go to a cardiologist who's done a lot of cardiac surgeries than to go to a GP who's done four or five. You'd yes. rather. So the specialization is good in some cases. Sometimes it's not so good because you got to go through your primary to get to the, the cardiologist or the primary to get to the dermatologist. So it's different than it used to be in that respect. Has it made it more complicated then for you or not? For me, no. No. Okay. But possibly for the patient. Hmm. Again, I think that's partly what the insurance companies want what? done. They they don't want to pay for things that aren't necessary. So in my in my work, mm -hmm. I have over the years quite a few people who come and sit down and talk to me. Yep. Um, I didn't. I don't put out a shield. I don't say come in, but it has just grown over the years that people want to come in and talk. And in from what I observe. I feel, and what I've learned is that, in my opinion, the the range that doctors put on blood tests or how quickly doctors diagnose or not diagnose a problem causes people to go on medications where there really is no problem. Case in point, 30 years ago, if you had a cholesterol of 300, nobody was barking. Nobody worried about it. 
Then I remember in the mid-90s, 94, 95, all of a sudden the number dropped to 250. Mm -hmm. Then in 97, 98, it was 235. Then it became 215, then it became 200. And now different things play a role here. If you go over 200, you're being put, you're being recommended to go on statin drugs. If you are over 200 and you try to get insurance, your insurance premium will go up because you have elevated cholesterol, even though this is a manufactured number. Mm -hmm. With your understanding of the drugs and how it works and what it does and learning the side effects, etc., how do you look into this and say, we're over-prescribing? This is an, another one of those questions that you sort of have to walk through. Yeah, but, I love it. I love it. I, I, I just ask you if you don't want to talk. No, I'll, no, no. I'll no. give you the answer. I, I, I just don't know where to start. Um, yeah. I think I think there's two main factors involved in what's happening. I think the drug companies are pushing to get more and more drugs out. Bet. Okay. Insurance companies are pushing to control their expenditures so between the drug companies coming up with more and more drugs which yeah. gives physicians more and more options of prescribing and the drug company the insurance companies um restricting what drugs are covered you might be on a drug in january and it falls off of of the formulary and you come in for your refill in say february yeah and it no longer costs you a five dollar copay it costs you $218 because it's no longer covered by the insurance company. Wow. The insurance companies, um, and I don't know how they operate, but uh, I believe that they, some of the insurance, some of the drug companies, and I see this is where I have to walk lightly. I don't know if it's called rebating, but I think they rebate to the insurance companies to kind of get their product covered on the programs. Okay. So I think all these these two things play very heavily into what is prescribed and what isn't prescribed. Um, I think the doctors are being forced to prescribe what's covered on formularies because of the cost of the medications. Patients can't afford three and four hundred dollar prescriptions. No, and no. if the insurance companies don't pay for them, the patient's not going to get it filled. And so, what happens to the doctor's treatment regime? Yeah, the patient can't afford to do the medication they won't do it yes and so that patient goes without treatment yeah. or goes to something ancillary that may not do as good you're saying that patients come to you to talk to you i think for two reasons one you're very knowledgeable hmm. they do the same with me yeah. i feel i'm fairly knowledgeable yeah and two you give them a time that the physicians don't have anymore. true true physicians are being forced by insurance companies to see more and more and more patients. Yeah. Instead of seeing one patient an hour, they have to see two or three. Well, probably three. Or more. Yeah. 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 And so they don't have the time to talk, or they'll have to talk to the receptionist or the nurse yes. to get the answers they're looking for. Yes. So they're searching for somebody that will kind of explain the medications. Pharmacists are in the same boat the docs are. You're working for a chain store doing four or 500 prescriptions. You're supposed to counsel any new prescription that's that's you're distributing to a patient. That consultation probably only takes five minutes, huh. whereas it could take, with patient response back and forth, could take a half hour. The pharmacist doesn't have that time to give them in most cases. Not, I shouldn't say everybody. Some guys are actually doing it the way it could be done. 
but a lot of us or a lot of them that are doing the, the insurance company, 600 scripts a day, whatever, they don't have mm -hmm. that time. So patients look for people like yourself mm. to talk over, to get your feel. This is a very interesting topic. And since we are living in a nation that is over-medicated, really, it's, it's a concern that, uh, that I have, that more people in the natural industry have. Uh, people are looking too much for a pill, either in a supplement form or in a prescription drug, simply to solve a problem. Um, my feeling is that we as individuals are a person. We are, from head to toe, we are an individual that has emotions, we have our mental body, we have a spirit, we have a physical body, and those four all work together with us and for us. And to, when you look at modern medicine, and Tim, I don't know if you can agree with this, but because of the specialist, specializing, specialization of doctors, a cardiologist will just look at your cardiovascular system. He is not going to look if you have pain in your knee. True. or if your hip is out of sync, or if you are depressed, that's not his forte. Correct. If you are talking to an endocrinologist, he doesn't care if you have a rash on your arm. That's not where you go see this person, even though the two, in my opinion, could very well be related. When you have a lot of stress and your adrenals are uh, pushing out adrenaline and cortisol, chances are that if you cannot control that, your body with the skin is showing you that, hey, you're going to have to slow down. And so to me, the body is telling us things, both emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually at times, but we have moved away from it so far in such a short period of time that we are seeing people being put on medication pretty much on every visit they go to a physician. You can almost guarantee you're going to walk out with something. I even hear people say they go to naturopathic doctors and they're walking out with products. It's not just consultation. It's you're buying something. And I, I, I feel sad because this is a nation that is the most expensive as far as healthcare is concerned in the world. And will rank somewhere 37th or so as far as health in the nation is concerned. So somehow there is a there is a problem. And talking to you and starting to read more about compounding pharmacy, you are really trying to go back to what is it that you need. I don't want to create a need for you. I won't tell you you got to take this and now you're stuck on medication for the rest of your life or the next two years or six months or whatever. You say with your experience that, you know, this really you will talk with your doctor, but you should not be on this for longer than six weeks or four weeks or two months or something. You you have a beginning and an end date. That is what I feel what, uh, what you're working on. I, I agree with what you're saying. Very much so. And that is why we need to go back to it. And I think if we could use more uh, compounding pharmacies, I have a feeling that um, we could actually lower the cost of healthcare in this country. I agree. Yeah, people take action themselves and then, uh, yeah, take action themselves when they can. Diet and lifestyle and uh, better diagnosing, etc. Hmm. We have a lot to talk about. We do. I appreciate you both coming into town. Folks, we're going to take a short break for the news, uh, so stay tuned for that. When we come back, hour number two of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Thanks for listening today. We will be right back. Um, Kathy. Yes, sir. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go, Strevin. So, so, some of the things you have been in the background 
as far as the uh, talking to the to talking to the the patients, the public about the compounding pharmacy. What is it that you have seen and learned from Tim as far as running a compounding pharmacy? How it works, the the how the the patients' reactions, the uh, hiring people who have a similar enthusiasm as Tim has to work in a pharmacy like that. Uh, how have you experienced that over the decades? I'll tell you what I've experienced. What what I get from people who, because I travel yeah. with the thermography, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I get women who are taking hormones, but they're getting it from a regular pharmacy that doesn't, you know, isn't yeah. doesn't have a mill and a grinder and all the high-tech equipment, and they're complaining about some things like, well, when I put the cream on, I feel it gritty. Okay. And I go, well, it's not being made right. Okay. So I suggest they call Tim or their local compounder. Always find someone that's associated with PCCA. And you get these calls back of, oh my gosh, it's a different world. Mm. First of all, if it's Tim or one of the other guys, they talk to them. They listen. They hear what they're saying, but they also know immediately where the errors were in that medication. You know, if you don't make that cream right, Tim, you know, it's it's not going to absorb. If the active ingredients is sitting on your arm yeah. in the form of a powder, what, it, you know, you were paying for nothing. Yeah. So, and I think the other thing is, he doesn't talk to me when he gets home. Okay. He's talked out for the day. Yeah, yeah, I know but that he, feeling. He's used all my words. Yeah, he's used all his words. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't, but he has. Yeah. And I, But I find when I talk to the women... What a what a nice guy, really knows the stuff, and he spent time with me. He explained to me. Mm. I finally understand. Yeah, and I should. think that's yeah. the bigger thing. I don't really actively participate in the pharmacy. I'm busy with the thermography, and but I do hear the feedback, and it's kind of nice. Over the years, what have you observed as far as changes? In, in in working with physicians, working with patients? Has it simply grown? Do you see that as kind of a return into yes. interest? I, I tell you what I've really seen is that people are taking a more active interest in their own health. Yeah, My parents, their physicians were gods. They did exactly what they were told. They never questioned any medication or procedure that they were told to do. Yeah. People today are questioning. Hmm. You know, and I know you know this because I refer some people that are here. Yeah. I don't know who in Bozeman is good with cancer patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know, but I'm not going to, you know, and if I don't know the answer, I say, go see Jacobus. He knows people here. And it's the same thing with other physicians. Yeah. Uh, I work networking. mostly. It's yeah, networking. it's networking. But people are very, very active in their own health these days. And questioning, which is excellent. I don't know. I agree with you as far as the total number is concerned, but because we are such an over-prescribed nation, uh. I don't know if the percentage is different now than it used to be. If I, if I, uh, I'm not saying that Europe is better, but I do know of other cultures in the in the world where people use more common sense. You mm-hmm. know, if you are sick, well, then stay in bed. 
and drink some tea and take some chicken soup and you know don't run to the doctor right away and ask for a prescription drug mm -hmm. Because maybe you're not lacking the prescription drug. Maybe you're lacking some simple nutrients. Maybe you're just lacking sleep. Maybe you're lacking sleep. Maybe you're going down. through a stressful time. And, exactly. and what bothers me is that when people come in and say, I'm on an antidepressant, I ask them, were you born depressed? And they said, no. I said, well, what's going on with you then? Well, you know, we, we moved and we had, uh, the kids went to school and they got a little bit in trouble and it, I didn't want to show my face in the neighborhood and I've been gaining some weight or I've been losing weight or my hair is coming out or, uh, you know, I have an upset stomach and I just don't feel good. Doctor said, maybe you're depressed. And then it's this, maybe you're depressed. It's not like you're depressed. You're maybe depressed. So why don't we put you on a medication? And the, the antidepressants, anti-inflammatories, the, the thyroid medications, the adrenal medications, the, the, the headache med, the opioids, it just, it's handed out like candy. And I don't think that that should be allowed. If, if, if in, in the field that I am in, if I would have somebody who complains that whatever pill I gave them caused them to have a stomach upset, oh boy, they may come in and say, what was that product? But if you look at the amount of people who have side effects from taking pharmaceutical drugs the way we see them uh, being mass-produced, and, and that's a big difference, by the way, I think, with the regular right. pharmacy, you, mass production versus individual production, Correct. it worries me that we are putting things in our body that our body somehow needs to be able to process. It either has to do what it's supposed to do and slip right out of the body again, or compounds are being absorbed and they start doing something in the body that you may not like. And well, we were talking during the break about how many older people, over, I mean, I have heard that over the age of 65, in this country alone, the average person over 65 takes eight medications. Mm -hmm. That's average. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. I had a girlfriend who had went through this. Yeah. And ended up in the hospital, over-medicated. Too many medications. Nobody was checking to see, you know, how they were all working together. Yeah, and that is... Uh, it's a sad thing. And more people are dying from over-medication. Absolutely. So. I mean, it's a big crisis right now. Yeah. I mean, I talked to somebody yesterday and he said, the fentanyl, you know, you look at Hollywood, quite a few artists, well-known people... They have so much pain, aches and pains from doing concerts and doing stupid tricks on the stage. They, they get aches and pains and they need to perform again the next day. So they need some kind of a pain medication. And when heroin is not available to take fentanyl, and then all of a sudden there's an overdose yep. and it's over. Yep. Maybe they should address stop doing that trick on stage. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, but yeah. it's totally true. Yeah. yeah. I see with through, through thermography... So much inflammation. Of course. And that's a, what do you do? And tell, I, our, tell our listeners what thermography is, please. It's digital infrared thermal imaging of the body. Um, and what we look for are pathologies and pain by reading the heat of the body that comes to the surface through neurotransmitters. So you come into me and your colon is inflamed. We can see that. The doctors that read it can make a guess as to what's causing that inflammation. Um, but you end up getting back to seeing a doctor. 
my personal thing is that I'm always recommending the naturopaths mm. because I find that most of their mission is find the source of the problem and address the problem. Just don't throw the medication at it. Yes. You're getting headaches. Why are you getting the headaches? Don't just give them something for the headaches. Something else is going wrong. Just what you said, they give them medication and then their stomach's upset. Okay, well, so then we'll give you something for your upset stomach too. No, let's find out where the problem is. What's causing that inflammation and get to the heart of it. Yes. The overprescribing, Tim, last night we were chatting and you mentioned that you go to a commercial pharmacy like a Savon or pharmacy drug, um, and you, you, it was shocking when you mentioned to me how many prescriptions they deliver to people on a daily basis. Well, how much is it, approximately? Yeah, depending on the chain drugstore. Sure, sure, sure. But give, give, but give listeners an idea. Six to 700 prescriptions a day. And how many do you fulfill on a daily basis? Approximately. Three twenty, twenty-five. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> it's it's quite a big difference. It's, yeah. Uh, and you have you have help us in your uh, pharmacy to help you. We do to put it together. Exactly, exactly. Because it takes time to number one calculate the dosage form, calculate the the amount of ingredients, the amount of filler, um, and then to make it. And we have three or four stages of things that uh, cream would have to go through before we. Feel it is uh, ready for patient patient use. Mm-hmm. We have a ointment mill which reduces particle size to, like Kathy was saying, patients complaining about grittiness or yeah. being left with chalk on their on their skin. Yeah, it reduces the particle size to micro micro size um, micro size Amazing. to small. Yeah, and then we also have a, a, a what I call kind of a it's an EMP electric mortar and pestle which will mix it uh, at like 500 rpms uh, for a minute or two minutes and so we have everything is totally mixed and and then we check it when we make a trochee we always taste test anything when we make something for for our cats and 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 dogs we'll also taste test it now we're not taking a full teaspoon or anything but we want to know that what we're dispensing that the owner or the person that's going to be taking it is aware that this has a little bitter aftertaste. It's got a nice mm-hmm. lemony taste, but mm-hmm. it's got a little aftertaste. Yeah. So we try to do quality control on everything we dispense, and it takes time to do that. We couldn't, with one pharmacist and two technicians, fill 80 or 90 prescriptions a day. Right. It's I just see, impossible. Yeah. And then spend time with the patient. Uh, okay, so I... I'm not a doctor, I'm not a pharmacist, I don't understand all these compounds, I'm not a chemist, but I do talk to people. And when I look at, let's take a thyroid, for example, okay. one of the most overprescribed, but at the same time underdiagnosed disorders, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, the One of the, okay, thyroid. People... There are more people with low thyroid symptoms than hyperthyroid symptoms, I would say. So low thyroid symptoms include apathy, depression, anxiety, hair loss, brittle nails, dry eyes, low libido, headaches, migraines, insomnia, tingling hands and feet, hoarse voice, carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, cholesterol issues, um, uh, Raynaud's disorder. Mm-hmm slow healing of wounds, 
And I, people come in and tell me those symptoms, and I said, it sounds to me that you have a thyroid problem. And those, those correspond with the thyroid disorder. And they say, obviously, I'm not saying you, this is what you have. I tell them, you need to go back to your physician and get a blood test and find out what is actually going on. And they said, well, I did have a test done, but they said I was in the normal range. Mm-hmm. So the normal range for a thyroid stimulating hormone test, the TSH test, is anywhere from 0.0 or 0.34 to about 5.75, 5.0. The more natural research shows that your TSH should be between 0.3 and 2.0. So that means, for the listeners who don't understand this, if your thyroid-stimulating hormone, which is made by your pituitary, goes over 2.0, you would have, you would be, could understand, you probably have these symptoms that we call low thyroid symptoms. If you go with that to a medical doctor who says, my range is Mm 5.75, and you are at 4.75, he or she may say, you do not have a thyroid problem. And so then you say, but look, my hair, it's falling out in clumps. My eyes are dry. My nails are brittle. I can't sleep. I'm gaining weight. I I have all these issues. And the doctor says, well, maybe you're depressed. And so now women are put, and men are put on antidepressants. They were never depressed to begin with, but this whole episode can be very depressing. So to me, it is so frustrating to see people come in Because everybody can write a story about their life, right? Everybody has feelings, has goals, has missions in life, has ideas that they want to do, want to share it with loved ones and friends, and are pretty much being told that they have a disease that they don't have. Mm -hmm. And now they're putting on medication, and because this is not the disease that they have, this medication may actually aggravate some side effects, that they get really confused about. It, in your, in the compounding pharmacy world, when you talk to somebody like that, how do you handle something? Are you calling the doctor and say, you know, guys, we need to talk. I, my observation is this. How does it work? It's, it's, it's very difficult. Thyroid's a good example. Hormone replacement therapy yeah, is another yeah, yeah. good example. Yeah. Um, I think what's happened over the years is because of technology, the availability of all these tests that that uh, are well, the availability of all these tests. You get yourself or you find yourself following um, recommended numbers, and I think that's what happens with patients that they get they get that five four point something yeah. on a, a doctor's range of five point seven. They're you're within range. Yes, that it, it's it's. In a way, it's a misdiagnosis because, like you said, the patient's exhibiting all the hypothyroid symptoms. Yes. I mean, they're, they're just they're, it's blatant. Yes. Problem is, is they've gotten out of practicing medicine per se and gone mm. to looking at patients' numbers. Okay. Uh, your numbers are going to be different than mine, yep. and we'll both be num- be normal. Yeah. And yep. Kathy's the same way. Women yep. are different than men. Yeah. We find even in the hormone replacement therapy reign, the physicians that have had lots of experience will actually bypass using numbers and relate and treat a patient because of their symptoms. Right. Can I add one yeah, thing? Yeah, please, go for it. 
Well, I sit in on all of these pharmacy conferences that Tim goes to, to yeah. a certain point until they get to him mixing. Yeah. And I remember listening to one of the gentlemen in Houston saying that, do you know where they got the levels for hormones? Oh, okay. And, you know, everybody in the room goes, no, not really. Apparently, they did a research study years ago taking the street people in New York, bringing them in, testing their blood, and ending up, that's where they got the normal range for a thyroid. Really? So, if your thyroid's being compared to street people in New York from 1970, maybe there's an error in there. Yeah, and things have changed. And things have changed, but these aren't generally the healthiest people in the world. It may not be the best test. So, that was his suggestion. Don't go by that normal range. Go by what makes the patient feel better. And 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 sadly enough, I know a doctor who has done that, mm-hmm. and they've taken his license away. They mm-hmm. said you're gonna, you are not following our protocols. And he says, I the protocols made my patients more sick. Mm-hmm. If I observe what they're going through, and I try to work with them about their individual pain and situation, life situation, and work situation, stresses, etc., and try to help them go through that process, I am able to steer them out of that situation and they're fine. But if I would say, based on what I see today, I need to medicate you, then the medication may start creating side effects that take put people on the next medication, next medication, and at some point... I am talking to people who said, I don't know how I got here. They just get so frustrated. They said, I don't know. I I don't know where my life made that turn, but it did make a turn and I'm lost. I don't know anymore what to do. Now with uh, with medications, it, it's the, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the thyroid medication, for example, one of the things that I that I want to understand from um, from you, maybe you can help me with this. So you make thyroid medication as well. You 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 do only things such as Nature Throid and Armor Thyroid, or you also do Levothyroxine and Synthroid. We we do we do. Uh, you've got the thyroid gland, okay, porcine, which would be same as Nature Throid or Armor Thyroid. Correct. It's a natural product. It's it's derived from the thyroid gland. Okay, and then you have. And I hate to say it's synthetic, but it is synthesized. Synthesized. T3 and T4. Correct. So with the thyroid natural gland, nature thyroid, and our armor, we can compound. It's the same ratio of T3 and T4 Mm -hmm. in that uh, powdered form of of natural thyroid. Um, We can compound either same as armor thyroid or not. So when the nature thyroid was was unavailable, we could actually compound the thyroid um, prescriptions, okay? We could match the thyroid of the strengths of both nature thyroid or armor. We're allowed to do that if there's a natural shortage of a product. Yeah. If not, we have some natural paths specifically that are very uh, adept at working with ratios. Yeah. So when you make a lot of combinations of T3, T4 that fall outside of the nature throid strengths. 9-34 is the typical ratio with T3, T4. Okay. okay. And we can actually... What do you mean with 9-34? Well, because the, I know what a T3, 
you, you, uh, I know what a free T4 and a free T3 number to numbers. be. Not those numbers. Not those numbers. The ratio of in the in the in the um, natural thyroid gland product. Okay. The acceptable range is between nine 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 milligrams T3 and 34, 34 milligrams of T4. T4. Okay. That's what the natural ratio is, about four to one. Huh, okay. okay. So when we take the synthesized T3 and T4, we can match that, or we can alter that ratio by changing the combination. Yes. So sometimes the doc wants more T3 than T3, than T4. Okay. So we can actually make it, you know, a ratio of 15 to 27 or okay. any any combination that doc wants to do some patients are put on synthroid without the capability of the body actually changing i shouldn't say just synthroid t4 t4 is inactive until the body changes it to t3 which is the active form yeah so if the body can't metabolize that t4 into t3 why are you on t4 and yet that is one of the highest prescribed thyroid medications. Oh, I got some questions for you. Okay. That's exciting. That's exciting. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you so much. I, we're going to talk more about that thyroid because I I talk to people and I hear things and I've learned things from Marion and I hear things from you and I like to educate, help to educate our listeners to that as well because one thing that people think if you take levothyroxine or Synthroid, they say it's synthetic and if you take T4, T3, nature throid, etc. It's natural. So I want people to understand what how that works. We're going to be right back, folks. Stay tuned. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. Right before the break, Tim, we were discussing thyroid because to me it's just a fascinating topic. And I see people come in, and again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a naturopath, I'm not a pharmacist, but I, I can read right so i can read i can talk i can listen i can ask questions to the experts on the show i learn and i try to help people by asking new questions and so one thing that i tell people why are you on thyroid medication well i have a low thyroid or they may they're not on thyroid medication because the doctor said that everything with was within normal range now I mentioned in the last half hour about the TSH, which in my opinion, the range is off. But then the thyroid itself, located in the throat, folks, makes the hormone T4. The T4 converts into T3. So even though the the, the thyroid, we say T4, T3, it really just makes the T4. But it is the T3, which I understand is the active form of, of, of thyroid hormone, which is in the really in the bloodstream and is converted from T4. Correct. Is that fair the to say? The thyroid makes T3 and T4. So it does make T3 as well. Right. Okay, but, so it's not just converting. Right. Okay. Conver- conversion is, is the, the, the main source, but um, yeah, that, that's really... So the... When I talk to people and they say, well, I don't want to take a synthetic hormone. I don't want Synthroid, synthetic thyroid, or levothyroxine. Is levothyroxine the main thing, or is that the, uh, that the, the what you call it, the, uh, the cheaper form? Uh, which is no, the no, original? No, the original Synthroid? The original drug is Synthroid, correct. And then the levothyroxine is what is called what? Um, cytomel. No, but what is uh, okay? Well, sometimes you have like T three, T four. There, there is well, a trait that, that is not right. I mean, synthroid is just T four. Correct, correct. 
but that is still a hormone. It's not synthetic, as people say. It's, it's still a hormone. Yes, it is. It's synthesized. Yes. Okay. But so is so is level, uh, so is hormothyroid uh, uh, and natrothyroid. There is a process done to them. Right, but that is more the, the natrothyroid and the armothyroid are actually derived from the thyroid gland of a animal. Yes. Okay. okay. So it is actually purified, desiccated. They do all the things that they do to it to purify it, and that's actually what armor thyroid or nature thyroid is. But I find that when I talk to people and tell me, I mean, this is just what they tell me. They right. say, we do not want that synthetic. We want the natural route. So we want the nature thyroid or the, uh, the armor thyroid. Correct. And I said, but the point is, how do you know that you need extra T3? If the T4 is low... And the T3 is low, but the ratio between the two is normal, is good. Mm -hmm. Then why don't you just add some T4, let the body make its own conversion into T3, and you see that the T3 is elevated as well. You elevate the T4, and then the T3 is elevated as well. Exactly. That's what I think mentally, okay? Right. But people say, no, I want a natural hormone so i want the t3 and i said but then you make your own body lazy to do its own conversion if you keep feeding it, it doesn't need to do it anymore for you so i say show me the numbers and let's get the calculator out let's calculate if your conversion ratio is normal then focus only on the t4 and get the synthroid because you need to get what you actually need there's many other things that you can do as far as diet and lifestyle is concerned but when it comes to a thyroid, get the medication that your body needs, not what you mentally think you should use. And that works specifically for patients that are able to convert T4 to T3. Well, the blood test will show you that. Right. And there are some patients that continually get increases in T4. Correct. Because their T3 isn't improving, their symptoms aren't improving. The problem in that situation is that the body is not converting then it's, you need the T3 with it. Exactly. Right. But uh, what I have read, tell me if I'm wrong, I understand that selenium, the mineral selenium, is involved in the conversion yes. of T4 to T3. Yes. So what I have told people, if you find out in your blood work that your T4 is low, but the conversion ratio is good, or it's a little low on the T3, just take some extra selenium Try and that. see if that makes the difference. Exactly. That's an easy fix. Okay. Yeah, okay. I agree. Good. Okay. Oh well, so I'm on the right track. I just I I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I tend to agree I get with confused. You. Okay. Yeah. Now the other thing that I find out is that people, when they go on thyroid medication, maybe that's not what they need. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have an autoimmune disorder, which is Hashimoto's or Graves, which has to do with antibodies. And so I I suggest people go to your physician, get a blood test, and find out if you have antibodies because the approach to that would be different than simply just taking medication and not addressing the uh, the low thyroid caused by the autoimmune disease. Let's fix the autoimmune disease. Maybe your thyroid will start to heal up as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings up another topic that we haven't even discussed. Which is what? The low-dose naltrexone. Aha. Aha. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> uh, short story made long, uh, or make, make hopefully the other way around. Um, <laughs> When I had my farm, original pharmacy in L.A., we were across the street from a large um, um, AIDS treatment center. And um, 
one of the things that we found that was happening was that the autoimmune response for these patients was compromised. And a doctor back in New York, Dr. Bahari, was doing work with alcoholism. And now Trexone was originally made by Endo Pharmaceuticals uh-huh. as an adjunct for treatment for alcoholics. Dr. Bahari was working with these alcoholics in New York City. And um, he noticed that these patients that had um, certain autoimmune diseases along with their alcoholism would improve with taking uh, naltrexone. So he started doing some investigation on lowering the dose to see if, and at that time, back in the early 70s, they were able to start measuring autoimmune response. Okay. And he noticed that the lower in dose that he got, in other words, from 50 milligrams, which was a typical dose of naltrexone, down to what he established as the optimum dose of 4.5 milligrams, he noticed that the autoimmune response for his patients improved drastically. Wow. And so we started compounding low-dose naltrexone in an oil base at 4.5 milligrams. This was back in 78, 79, and 80. This was at the start of the AIDS um, epidemic, for lack of a better word. And we saw the T-cell counts improve drastically. We saw patients respond drastically. That is now coming back into, um, I don't want to say acceptance, but the uh, the docs that have began using it for fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis, multiple sclerosis, yeah. I've heard arthritis, yeah, uh, any autoimmune related disease. Now it doesn't work for everybody, but by golly, it works for enough people that it's worthwhile giving it a try. Now this is really interesting that you say that because there was a there is a medical doctor who wrote a book. It's called the autoimmune. Uh, uh, what is it? The auto uh, solution. The autoimmune solution. Okay, and she feels that. All autoimmune diseases are caused by leaky gut syndrome. Okay. Okay. So she says if you, as I mentioned earlier, the the low thyroid symptoms like hair loss and brittle nails and dry eyes and weight gain and insomnia, all that stuff, you may you may have maybe let's say there are twenty symptoms. Right. You may have seven or eight of them, and that would be very obvious that you have that problem. This law, this doctor, Amy Myers, Mm -hmm. a medical doctor, in a book, Autoimmune Solution. She states that you could have, so if you put in the center the disease, which is leaky gut syndrome is the cause, which then causes symptoms such as MS, vitiligo, Hashimoto's, scleroderma, rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes. She said if you look at the autoimmune disease as the symptoms, Mm -hmm. you could have symptoms of MS, you could have symptoms of low thyroid. You could have symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. And she says, so all of a sudden, you could have symptoms of different autoimmune diseases that you could address by fixing your leaky gut. True. So if people would do the leaky gut and then take, with a physician's help, and a compounding pharmacy work with low-dose naltrexone, they could see a rapid improvement of the symptoms. I agree. Uh, but I, I like that uh, the original approach. Fix the leaky d- Fix, gut. Yes. See, in other words, do no harm. Correct. Do do Be the, proactive. Right. Yeah. Be proactive. Yeah. Treat that part. If you're still seeing some symptoms. Totally. Then, then maybe give it a try. Yeah. Kathy. Yes. It sounds to me like you want you want to no, say something. No, no, no. I'm not touching this topic. <laughs> this is so interesting. I, you know, I have heard about several things about low dose naltrexone, yep. and 
And I forgot right now that all of a sudden I thought, my God, I didn't know it was used for that. I heard, I have talked to somebody who said she used it for uh, MS. It didn't end up helping her completely, but maybe she was using the low dose naltrexone, naltrexone, but not working on the leaky gut. I don't know. There's a possibility so, of that. It could be more than one thing contributing to the whole picture. Yes. So, and what, what, so what category is low dose naltrexone? Is it an anti-inflammatory or what is it? What is it original? What category is it? In? Honestly, I don't know. You can categorize it. Its original approval from the FDA was for alcoholism. Alcoholism. Okay, right, it's a and they're using it for pain as well. Yeah. In fact, to let you know how influential compounding pharmacy has become. Yeah. There are several drugs and several dosage forms that the drug manufacturers are beginning to work on that we as compounders have been using for fifteen or twenty years. Topical anti-inflammatory, NSAIDs. Yes. We've been using ketoprofen, diclofenac topically for years. All of a sudden, you've got manufacturer coming out with diclofenac in huh. a tube. May cost you an arm and a leg, yeah. but it's now available. Um, they're now working with low-dose naltrexone in combination with, with um, pain medication to... Yeah. Because the low-dose naltrexone, one of its effectiveness is, is it works on the mu receptors, which are the pain receptors in the body. It blocks them. And so patients that are taking narcotics, heavy doses for the, not just for pain, people who have pain, they are not taking it for the stimulant, the, the high. Yes. The patients that are in pain, they don't get high in most cases. No, no, it's no. It's the thrill seekers. They're now including the low-dose naltrexone in micro grams along with the pain medication it blocks the mu receptors to a certain point and it blocks the high okay so they're getting it just for pain if they're not getting high from it anymore yeah so this is an investigational stage that the drug companies are taking from partly from what they see happening with the with compounders yeah huh. which i think is kind of a neat reaction do you see yeah that is so interesting that these things start tying together now do you see new things on the horizon that you hear they're working on and that you say, this is exciting? Or do you have things that you go like, who I'm worried here? There's a lot of things that worry me about. I mean, we're back to the multiple drugs sure. that patients are taking now. Yeah. It's the, the, uh, the generation, our generation before us wouldn't take anything, mm -hmm. right? And our generation reluctantly take things as they, we get older i think the younger generation is of that generation that they want they want something fixed and they want it fixed right away yeah yeah and i think the availability of doctors now is much easier for patients to get in to see docs and get treatment and like you said earlier if you go in to see a doc and pay money you want to come out with something well, not just that. I hear of people who tell the doctors i want to, i want to take this medication i saw it on tv last night they saw huh. the ad. You know, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I because, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> no, not what she said. I didn't see you on TV. No. no. But they see this advertised on TV. And yeah. of course, they, it's for this, 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 and this. And they go, well, I've got all of that. Let's go see Doc and see if he'll prescribe it for me. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting. I, uh, I tell you that this is indeed one of the worries and and i remember back when i started my radio show back in 2000 i i would talk to certain physicians and they said we do not want to be on a radio show because we see that as advertising 
and it's not ethical for us to advertise. Right. And so you see in the last 18 years what it changes we have gone through mm -hmm. whereby there is no more shame about advertising. It's just part of daily life that half the advertisements are some kind of medication that uh, you need to take for your problem. Yeah, hmm. it's true. Hmm. It's amazing. Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway. Tim and Kathy Calcagno. Uh, we're talking about the Montana Compounding Pharmacy, and we have a caller on hold. Thanks for waiting, caller. What's your name? How can we help you? Good morning. Oop, hung up. If we put you on hold, uh, please wait till we call your name. There is a 20-second delay, so you may not hear it right away, but uh, we are here. And so if you have a specific question, we'd love to hear from you. That is um, the worry, the overuse of the medication, partly because of the advertising and because of all the, the, the paid ads and magazines and etc. And the sad thing is people are literally promised what they see on TV. Mm -hmm. And I have often, too often I have a feeling, too often I have a feeling that the, uh, the issue that we're having is that the we, we don't get the full picture that's what i feel i always want to understand when i talk to a person what happened they say well i have had this for three years or four years or five years and i ask them what happened five and a half six years ago and then all of a sudden you hear them say we had to move we lost our house we 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 lost a family member we uh, got sick i fell or I fell on the on the hill. I, I got hurt. All of a sudden, things took a turn because of their own fault or because of other circumstances. Mm -hmm. But then they are on this medication, and many times it is an antidepressant, sadly enough, because they cannot handle that kind of stress. And they are now on medication, as far as they know, for the rest of their life. And And to me... It, it affects the quality of life tremendously. And if there is anything that can be done to, to wean them off the medication, to work with their physician and say, you know what, just as much as you can go to your doctor and say, I saw this on TV last night, I want this, we should have the guts to go to them and say, I don't like this medication, can you get me off it? Yep, you know, I agree. Um, this is, I know, I'm, I'm just fascinating. I'm, I uh, I know you were coming, both. Uh, I, I start reading about it. I, I see all these questions that come up, and, and I'm trying to wrap my head around your answers and, and how we can help people to uh, to make this better. But in my opinion, this this whole profession of compounding pharmacy, we're going to talk about why it has gained in popularity. I think that uh, we need to let the listeners know why it is making a return because it's, things are getting out of control. So uh, let's uh, let's discuss that as we come back, folks. Gesundheit with Jacobus. We are gonna. What are we? Oh, we're done with two hours already. So this is wonderful. We have one hour to go, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna discuss why has there been such a change lately? Why is there a return to the interest in compounding pharmacy? And indeed, where is it going from here? All the medication and stuff. So stay tuned. We will be right back. We have a caller on hold. I think our caller is still waiting patiently. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jacoba. Hi. Yes, what is your I'm name? What's your name, patiently. please? Oh, thank, thank what is, you. Oh, great, great, great. Thank you. Thank What's you so much for having Tim and Kathy. Thank you. My, my issue is 
in, I have primary hyperparathyroid. That's what I've been diagnosed as. Yeah. In 2004, I had one operated on. I had no follow-up to know what happened. In 20... Oh. Did we lose you? Oh, no. We cannot hear you. If you can hear us, then uh, hang up and call us again. I'm so sorry because you waited through the break, and now we are lost. Um, okay. And I would also recommend perhaps um, don't put us on speakerphone if you can do that. The sound is echoey on our end. So, boy, that's a tough. Now, um, Kathy told me what questions to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy is running the show. Okay. Hey, everybody who knows Kathy, you know she would never do that. No. No. No, no, no. no, no. I'm staying out of this. <laughs> okay, uh, Tim. Yes. Question. What would I look for in a compounding uh, um, Rx, a compounding formula? What am I, as uh, if I come, if I talk to my doctor and say, I really like to have my medication made by a compounding pharmacy, what am I looking for? Well, I don't know that you could actually see the difference, but I, I would um, I would go by recommendation number one. Okay. Um, let's face it: a, a pharmacist that's working at a chain store and a pharmacist that's working in a compounding pharmacy, they're going to be similar in knowledge, maybe not in the compounding side of it. Um, compounders basically go through extra training to become compounders. Uh, whether they do it at a place like PCCA or Letco or one of the wholesalers that offer programs like that. Uh, somebody from my era had a year's worth of compounding training at the university. Okay. So we had that experience. I don't know that you could actually see the difference. I mean, I would look for a pharmacy that looks to be updated, clean. Well, um, are, you, are your uh, ingredients, do you use okay. fillers? Do you do you use something that people should worry about when um, they get a product from you compared to other medication? If I look at some of the ingredients that are in there besides the so-called medication. No, typically what you'll find is a hyperallergenic cream. If it's a cream base, if it's a uh, uh, sublingual drop, you'll look at something. It'll be almond oil or olive oil as the uh, main ingredient. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at creams, uh, again, creams will be hyperallergenic. Capsules, yeah. we look for patients that are, or we ask patients, are you lactose intolerant? If okay. they are, then we will use something like Abacil, which is a filler that is uh, hyperallergenic. It's made from wood. It's purified wood. Okay. So it's a methyl cellulose product. So, right. um, And capsules can either be veggie caps or just regular glycerin or uh, gelatin capsules. Gelatin caps, right. So... We try to add as little as possible, and that's kind of what I said to you earlier on a manufactured product. We're looking for the active ingredient of a manufactured product that we can't get in uh, a powdered form, but the doctor wants it reduced to a different strength, say. We don't actually know what those fillers are going to be, okay. but they would have taken them orally anyway, so putting them in a, in a sublingual or uh, some other vehicle. Yeah, it's the same thing, but we've reduced the strength, mm -hmm. which is what the doctor was headed for. So, mm. um, again, I don't know. I, in first impressions, is what I would say as far as what does a patient look for in a compounding pharmacist. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Let's get our caller back on. Uh, oh, she good. is back. Are you back with us? 
I hope so. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. I'm so Thank sorry. You. Yeah, you're I welcome. I don't know why we were cut off. But anyhow, so in 2004, I had no follow-up on that surgery. In 2015, my female gynecologist told me that my calcium levels were really high, and I needed to see a surgeon. First story was the second surgery did not work. It did not lower my calcium level. And so they're saying that I have super primary hyperparathyroid. And they have me on since apart. Um, what, 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 what was that medication? Since apart, S-E-N-S-I-P-A-R, 30 milligrams. Okay, since apart. Mm. And there is no generic for this product. Okay. So I have, thanks to the internet, I have gone on and studied, and thank you, Jacobus, because apparently the T3 and T4 does not work, according to some of the things I've read, without selenium. Correct. Yep. So I, myself, not being told by my doctor, I and because Sensapar is very expensive, and it puts you into the donor hole rapidly. Yeah. So I have been taking, for the last year, Sensapar one day, because I was supposed to take it every day. Yeah. I have been taking it one day, and then I take selenium the next day. Okay. And um, then... Like 200 milligrams? Or yes. 400, oh, excuse me, micrograms? 200 mcg. Yeah. And micrograms. I've been splitting that in half. Okay. Because I don't know what I should be taking. Well, it's uh, there's different opinions about it. Uh, we're not completely selenium deficient in this diet uh, in, in our in our life in this area, Montana. Uh, but I, it, it just depends on what your needs are. I they say in the books that if you go over 400 micrograms of selenium, it could become toxic. But I have heard people who told me that they had cancer and took 1,200 micrograms and got rid of the cancer. So I don't know what that means. I, I simply say uh, you should be able to do 200 micrograms every day. That should not be a problem. Okay, thank you. Because but then again, I, like, I'm not here to treat, diagnose, or cure. I'm just telling you what I have learned from feedback from people. Exactly, and thank you. And, and I know that you're... I'm not holding you to anything, oh, but your information is incredible. Oh, and so you. when you mention, you know, and I haven't called in because I love listening to you, and I'm sure that that's two of the rest of your audience. Um, I think so, too, because this is, I know so many people take medication from the compounding pharmacy in Missoula, and so I know people want to hear what Tim has to say and don't want to interrupt them. That's exactly. And so that's why I was hesitant. Anyhow, how do you... Get your doctor to go to your compounding service rather than just pharmaceutical and I need Sensapar and I need 30 milligrams and so. So how do you get your doctor to use your compounding pharmacy? And what could you do for me that... For, so hy for hyperparathyroidism, yeah. Yes. I, I'm not familiar with Sensapar since we're strictly compounding at this point, but it sounds like that dosage is fine for you, I'm assuming. The active ingredient is patented, so it is not available to compound. Um, selenium, I think, 
You're not trying to. You're not trying to reduce the selenium. I don't think. No, she's rights. also dealing it for thyroid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm taking it. Uh, I found the selenium on the internet when I was studying my parathyroid. Okay. Okay. Sensapar is twenty five hundred dollars every three months. Jeez. Wow. Good lord. Yeah. So yeah. are, are you uh, are you getting any drug company uh, rebate help with that? A lot of the higher cost drugs, the manufacturers offer coupons to kind of help offset that, that yeah, cost. I'm going to pursue that. It, That's the point I have. It's definitely out there for a lot of drugs. I would definitely look at that. Oh. As far as any medication that you might want to see what a compounding pharmacist could do, you could either, one, talk to a compounding pharmacist, see if, if um, medication that you're using is compoundable, and or if you're going on a new medication, your docs are getting much better as far as talking to you about alternatives. And compounding is kind of considered an alternative to most docs because they've been trained by the drug company representatives for so many years that it comes secondarily to them unless the patient asks for something that might be doable in, in a compounding pharmacist. Right. But even talking to the compounder, um, most of us would, would be happy to talk to you to see if there was something we could do. So, Tim, do you, in your compounding pharmacy, do you work on prescriptions for the super primary hyperparathyroid? I haven't. Honestly, I have not had that diagnosed approach to me. Um, I'm a little unsure on the treatment. I do remember selenium being an important portion um, and I knew it had something to do with calcium regulation, but it's been too many years since I've really looked into it. I'd be happy to do some studies, though. Okay. Well, one of the things that I have studied on the sense part is it is not because primary hyperparathyroid leaches the calcium from your bone. Correct. And so then your magnesium and your potassium is thrown, in my body, it's thrown off. Okay. Um, uh, are you taking uh, vitamin? Are you taking vitamin K two? No, I'm not. So vitamin K two <laughs> has been discovered that it grabs excess calcium in the blood and takes it back to the cell to see if the cell is ready to absorb it. If the cell still doesn't want it, it is removed out of the body. So many people who have high calcium levels in the blood, which can cause arteriosclerosis and heart disease, actually when they go on vitamins, so that is not cholesterol, so you don't, I hope you don't have cholesterol medication, I but am. you are? I am on a cholesterol. No, yes, yes I am. Um, yeah, okay. so that may be calcification of the arteries has not, may not, not have anything to do with cholesterol actually. Um, but the uh, the vitamin K2 has shown to actually help remove excess calcium before it can become, or even if it has already become like a, a um, um, what you call a bone spur or uh, things of that nature. Vitamin K2, specifically the what we call the MK7, the menoquinone 7, is the one that is rapidly absorbed. And 100 micrograms a day would be great for you to take just on an everyday basis. 100 micrograms. 100 micrograms. Okay. Uh, yes, I am taking Simvastatin. Simvastatin? Yes. Yeah. And 20 milligrams of that every evening. 
So vitamin K2, do I get that across the counter? Or no, yeah, you can get it in a health food store. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a health food store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking to the boss. I think uh, right now we have like a sale. You can get the MK7 100 uh, microgram 50 capsules for I think 19.95. Okay. So you take one a day is almost two months. Well, the main thing is just finding out because the strength part only saves my kidneys. It does not save my bones. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm trying everything I can to figure out and and. Vitamin D as in David 3. Correct. Right. How much you take of that? I just take one 5,000 IU. No. so what you should do is get a blood test and see where your vitamin D level is at. My endocrinologist has cut it back to one a day. No, it doesn't and matter. What What is the number? What was oh, the number on the blood test? I don't have it right in front of me. I'm you in sh- Livingston and all of my test results are down in Laurel. Okay, what I what I want to tell you, you know, if you don't mind, I no, say do. okay. So, vitamin D three. When you go look at a blood test, the range that a lab, a regular Western lab, puts on on there, it says normal range is thirty to one hundred. Thirty to one hundred. So that means if your vitamin D is thirty one, you are normal, and if it's ninety nine, you're also normal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. So yeah. what I have seen. And, of course, I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling you what I've seen over the last right. 24 years. Right. When people have a vitamin D level that is 35 or less, they either suffer from depression or from cancer or from a chronic disease. And when I, I tell people, and there is natural research that has, that has quoted this and, and written down and written about this, Try to get your vitamin D3 level over 60. Then you're safe. And if you can, try to get it between 75 and 100. Okay. And so it is simply, so if somebody tells me that they take 5,000, but they're still hovering. I had a gentleman who came in. He was taking 5,000 IUs, vitamin D3 a day for three months. Then he had his blood tested and he was only 18. Mm Mm-hmm. So, obviously, it didn't work. I suggested go to 15,000 a day for three months. You shouldn't worry about it. Three months is a fine time mm-hmm. period to test. He jumped up to 84. He, wow. he panicked. He said, oh, maybe I'll shoot over 100. I said, don't worry about it. It's, let's test it another three months. But he decided to go back to 10,000 a day, and he dropped down to 48. So he was again below 60, and so he really was low. And he said, okay, my body at this point needs 15,000 a day. We're all different. So a number of 5,000 is all nice. I'm glad you're doing it, but the blood test will show if you're actually doing something with it. And so, so the good thing with vitamin D is that it is a fat-soluble vitamin, just like vitamin K, and you should therefore take it with food that contains fat. So if you eat eggs or salad dressing, olive oil, fish, meat, you know, chicken, whatever, that those all have fat in it, and they make uh, avocados. They make the vitamin D and the vitamin K better absorbed. Okay, thank you so very much on that. Yeah. Another thing before I leave you, you talked about the medical range, uh, three point four to five point seven, and. The healthy range is 0.3 to 2.0. No, 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 no. I said 0.34. 0.34. Oh, 
zero point three four to right, five point seven five. Yes, on the yeah. thyroid. Right, and that's what the the government range is when you correct. Have blood well, yeah. it's a lab range. The laboratory sets that range. But the healthy range is point three. Yeah. To point two point zero. To two point zero. Yes. So. If you go higher than 2.0, it indicates a low thyroid. Very good. So when so I usually show my customers, I take a pencil in my hand, and I put my fingers, my thumb, and my index finger exactly in the middle of the pen. So it looks like a little teeter-totter, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one side is the thyroid, one side is the TSH. So if I press the thyroid side down... What happens to the TSH side? It goes up, right? Up, yeah. So as the thyroid becomes weaker, the pituitary starts producing more TSH. So then the range, if that gets over 2.0, I show people this is the range that the medical doctor or the laboratory shows you, and I show how low the thyroid goes, and they say, oh, my God, I don't want a low thyroid like that. I say, well, that's what you're dealing with right now. So, well, and not only... Now, we're talking two different things, thyroid and para. Sure, the parathyroid is located behind the thyroid, and it is important for calcium production, yes. Yes, and there's four of them. Yes, there's four nodules. Okay. So when I come into your health food store, Gesundheit, um, do you deal with me taking my blood test in? Or no, I don't do blood testing. But I do thyroid. prostate exams. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're safe, ma'am. Right, right. I enjoy you. You are, you are incredible. Uh, thank uh, you. No, I don't. I send people to blood test uh, places to maybe laboratories. You should offer women a breast exam. <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, and Tim and Kathy, I have gone to your Montana Compounding website. I don't know how to spell your last name, but I'm going to see if my doctor will. But but you said you don't do primary hyperparathyroid, so I'll just start studying some more on it. And and I will as well. And I so appreciate you, Jacobus, for having this. Thank you, thank you, all of you. Thank oh, you're you. Welcome. And thank you very much. Tim yeah. and Kathy, thank you for being there. And I'm going to shut up so I can hear some more of you. <laughs> right. It's great talking. Thanks to you. for the call. Bye bye. Thank you. God bless. Bye bye. You too. So the last name is spelled Calcagno. C A L. C-A-G-N-O. Well, you know, actually, I know we're coming closer to a break, but I do have uh, a bunch of uh, text messages that people have. All of a sudden, we start getting Can you read them on the air? Uh, Yes. It (laughs) says, uh, good morning. I have been getting my bioidentical age prescription, hormone prescription from an out-of-state pharmacy. Just this year, they can no longer ship to Montana. Do you know anything about why the sudden change? Yes, new regulations for uh, FDA, state boards of pharmacy have gotten together and uh, basically have said that you can no longer uh, ship across state lines if you're not registered in that state that you're shipping to. So to me, it's more of a control situation, also a money-making situation to get pharmacists to um, and pharmacy we tried to get into Idaho. They not only wanted the pharmacy to pay a $2,000 fee, but the pharmacist in charge also had to pay a $2,000 fee. Wow. So $4,000 to ship one item into Idaho is what these states are, are requesting. So um, it's just a regulatory thing. Okay, good. Thank you for that. 
Uh, we're going to take a break, last break, and then uh, just a half hour left with Tim and Kathy Kalkekno. I appreciate you all tuning in. I'll get to the other question on the other side of the break. Stay tuned, please. We have another text. It says, uh, I am so glad the Montana Compounding Pharmacy is on. They are fantastic. They're great. Exclamation mark. So that's a nice compliment. But then there was a question, and it was sent at the break break last time. So they said, what was the spelling of the last drug you were talking about? That must have been that low-dose naltrexone. You're right. Yes. So you can, is, the, is it N A L or N E L Trexone? N A L. N A L Trexone. T R E X O N E. O N E. Okay. So you can check that on the internet, folks. All she has and then to, yeah. We, all she has to do is go to uh, Google, type in L D N or low dose naltrexone. L D N or low dose naltrexone. And a ton will come up. Okay. Wonderful. And it says also, do you know of an enzyme that one can take that breaks down food in the gut? Thank you. Well, that is a um, tough question it, uh, because, yes, there is plenty of enzymes out. It is just what is your need. And when you talk about the gut, are you talking about the stomach or are you talking about the intestines or are you talking about the section between the stomach and the small intestine, which is called the duodenum? So in uh, I recommend for people as we get older that we don't drink fluids or much fluid 30 to 40 minutes before you eat, not while you eat, and not 30, 40 minutes after you eat because the effect extra liquid has on the stomach acid. We do need stomach acid in order to break down food. And so what what happens is that when we don't have the acid, you're not able to liquefy the food in the stomach, which therefore causes indigestion further down the pipe. And so if, let's say, everything is perfect, you are not drinking 30, 40 minutes before, not while you're eating, unless you have you sip a little water or you sip a little coffee or you sip a glass of wine or sip a cocktail, but not more than six, seven ounces in that whole time period, and that includes 30, 40 minutes after a meal. So everything is perfect and you are liquefying the food. Now it moves into your duodenum. So in the duodenum, you need the in, you get the enzymes from the pancreas and the bile from the gallbladder. So if you don't have a gallbladder anymore, then take some uh, bile, ex, uh, ox bile, in a capsule, and or take some pancreatic enzymes such as protease, lipase, and amylase, which help to break down the food into micronutrients. That breaks down the liquefied foods into micronutrients. Then it moves into the rest of the small intestine where you will need bacteria. So you need probiotics and uh, to absorb those micronutrients through the gut, through the intestinal wall, into the bloodstream. So uh, I hope that answers your question. And uh, thank you, Priscilla. She liked the song. Good. (laughs) All right. So here we are, Tim and Kathy. We have a caller on hold who would like to ask a question. Good morning, caller. Thanks for waiting while I was... Raving here, ranting or raving, not ranting, (laughs) Ranting. raving, right? Uh, What is your name? How can we help you, please? This is Rena Jacoba. Hey, Rena. Good morning to you. um, We love listening to you rant and raving. Did I hear you did did breast exams? Uh, Well, Kathy suggested I should expand into that. Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know if this will be of any use to anybody, but 
I, I have taken low-dose naltrexone, and I was put on it. It's been a number of years ago. Um, it's a long story, but I was sent to a compounding pharmacy. I was in horrific pain with my spine, and I had had spine surgery in Phoenix. But um, the pharmacy I was sent to was Belmar Pharmacy in Lakewood, Colorado. And I, uh, I'm very thankful to them, but I want to know about these guys more if they're not going to be able to ship out of state. Yeah. Um, they put me on it. Actually, my husband called him, uh, talked to the head pharmacy one day because he didn't think I was going to make it. And he said, I'm going to overnight you magnesium glycinate. And that's one thing I'm calling about. Um, they sent magnesium glycinate to my husband, and it just saved me. I slept for the first time in eight months. Wow, um, makes sense. It helped a lot with nerve pain in my legs, but okay. it's compounded there, so I wanted to know if these guys compounded magnesium glycinate. We don't at this point. It is okay. available um, over-the-counter. Yeah, I sell it, yeah. so I don't know yeah. what the difference would be. It, unless it's a different, yeah, different milligrams? It, it's it's uh, 600, and I'm supposed to take two in the morning, two at night. So you take 12 on the... You... I have to... I'm pretty sure it's 600. I, I'd have to grab the bottle, but I... Well, in the I back, have, to have on, a prescription. Yeah, on the back side, it will say there is a label, and that says uh, supplement facts. And right under the big word supplement facts, it will say serving size. Well, and, you know, mine, Jacobus, is in a prescription bottle because okay. it, it no, requires okay. a prescription. All right. It, it didn't use to, but it... No, it any, anything that a compounding pharmacist does by law requires a prescription. Yeah. So. It's 600 milligrams. Okay. 100 wow. milligrams. And it's, I get 100 capsules at a, at a shot. Okay. Um, it really helps with sleep and nerve pain with my legs because I've had a lot of nerve damage from my back not getting fixed for years. Yeah. But uh, the other thing, the low-dose naltrexone, I've also been on for pain. And I didn't hear you mention it for pain, but they mentioned something about, I believe it was my, my husband's trying to refresh my memory since so long, but... Did it boost the dopamine on my brain to fight pain? It does, and it also blocks the mu receptor, stimulates the mu receptor, which is the pain receptor right. in the in the body. Okay. So, it, it, that? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I, <laughs> you go ahead. Yes, your okay. turn. <laughs> okay. Well, my husband's developed PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica, and I wondered if that would be good for him to take for that, um, if you had any suggestion on that, because I'm like, Bruce, I have a low-dose naltrexone in the drawer, and they're talking about I think isn't that, that is an autoimmune disease. It Polymyalgia. is. Polymyalgia. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I look at low-dose naltrexone. There's a book out there, there, too, that's geared to both the patient and, and the practitioner. Okay. It's called the LDN book, and it's written by a, a English lady who had multiple sclerosis uh, to the point where she was bedridden and mm -hmm. she started doing LDN and she made a miraculous Oh no, I've watched I've watched videos and yep. Bell, the compounding pharmacies that I've been going to has, has raved about it and I think they even have a video on their website and no, it's it's wonderful but when I tell doctors that I take it, they look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, because of its yeah, the because of the and approved that's use. That's alcohol is, and I'm not an alcoholic. Right, you know, it's no. low dose. Um, right, no LDN low dose naltrexone was not intended for for alcohol. It's it's no, kind of the no. it's kind of an off label use, and and some physicians are very open to using 
uh, items off label. Um, right. right. So I would say if it were me, I would definitely ask my doctor to at least try it for your husband. Okay. Yeah. Um, the I'm going to throw in something. Your naturopaths are more attuned to this sometimes. Yeah. Than, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. For sure. So definitely. you'll get a better response from them. Oh, definitely. I just had to go in for ER for my heart, and they saw I was on a, I take a, you know, progesterone, natural, okay. and estrogen, and uh, testosterone. And the doctor, the heart doctor, was like, why are you on testosterone? Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, because women make all three. <laughs> That's right. Good for you. I don't know. I, you I know that, uh, Rena, that testosterone and progesterone are the number one and two hormones to build bone. And yeah. so if there is any scare for uh, osteoporosis, especially after menopause, yeah. then testosterone and progesterone are essential. And right. Plus, I it is good for heart health. I had a hysterectomy, and they basically, when I couldn't use their pharmaceutical patch, they told me women have to go to Warm Springs or to the insane oh asylum. So, you know, God. that was my answer. I left there crying. My husband got me to a naturopath. Good. And that's when natural hormones and everything started for me and i have another question about that um uh because i get my i've been getting my estradiol or my estrogen and progesterone testosterone from belmar um my my one naturopath i was going to she said i had to take a liver pill and i said no i don't because they use a blat system when making their estrogen she didn't believe me i said well call them and talk to pharmacists and she did, and she called me back, and she said, you don't need to take these liver pills, you're right. Huh. So my question about the, the um, natural estrogen, how do you address that with the liver so it's not processed through the liver, per se? Typically, we pers- well, we recommend it be used topically for several reasons. Okay, cream. Yeah, yep. cream. Several uh-huh. reasons. It's absorbed through the skin. It gets, right. gets into the fat tissue, and it's released slowly into the body, yeah. whereas you do an oral, it's going to go through the liver twice, and yeah. it's also going to hit your system much quicker than a topical dose. Well, let me ask you then, where do you, why do you say in the fat tissue, um, uh, one of the progesterone creams that we're using is the, the doctor recommends put it on your forearm, the inside of your forearm, because the skin is thin, okay. because I understand that if you put it on fatty tissue, it may be stuck in the fatty tissue and doesn't get where you want it to be fast enough. Is well, that is there uh, a theory? Is there a typically speed is not the issue. Okay. You, what you want is sustainability. So okay. if you depot is what we call it, depoting it in the fat tissue, it releases from the fat tissue at a slower pace than putting it on the wrist or forearm. Those two areas are loaded with blood capillaries. It's going to go into your blood system quickly. Right, right. And if you look at a graph, it's going to peak quickly and then drop off quickly. Uh-huh. So over a period of time, you keep that depot filled. It's going to release through the system on a much slower basis, but on a more equal basis. Okay. So where do you typically, where do women typically put it on the abdomen? Love handles. Um Behind the thigh. Okay. Um, so not on the, the neck, thigh. not on the neck, no. not on the forearm. Okay. No. Wow, interesting. No. All right. Okay. Well, I think you answered all my questions. Thank, thank you, Rena. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for hey, you being on the program, and we really enjoy your program on Saturday morning. Oh, thank you, Rena. Yeah, I lo- uh, we love listening to you, and it's been very helpful, educational. So yeah, we were is. just we were just in there yesterday getting. We bought extra strength Kuma 
you might have to help me for my husband's PMR. Curcumin. 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 Curcuminoids or curcumin. Yeah. With mm-hmm. frankincense. Yep. And the natokinase and the right. DLPA. Yep. Mm-hmm. And your gal helped us and and, and fish oil. Fish oil too yeah. is the other thing she helped. So how many is he going to take on the he, curcumin on the curcumin? You know, I think he's just going by the box. Okay, it says three a day. So, oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. Do three a day for six days. Okay. If that days. if that gets him to where he wants to be, stick to three a day. Okay. If he, he says he can't get off the prednisone, Ooh. he's supposed to be off of it, yeah. with, according to the rheumatologist, and that's why we came in and, and got help because, yeah, he's trying to get everything he needs for this PMR to get off the prednisone. Okay. All right. So, so if the if after six days he is not feeling that he is getting somewhere, then for six days go to six a day. Really? And then okay. go back to three a day. Okay. And the fish oil is helpful as well. The fish oil is helpful, and the other possibility could be CBD oil. CBD oil. Yeah. Okay. Cannab- I'm, cannabidiol. I'm sure, okay, I'm sure he's downstairs writing this down. So. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> anyway, thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Rina. All right, oh, bye-bye. 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 522-8255. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I am your host, Jacobus Holloway, and with me in the studio are Tim and Kathy Calcagno from the Montana Compounding Pharmacy in Missoula, Montana. And uh, you can, uh, if you have any questions, please call us or send us a text at 266-7617. You can, uh, well, there's so much we need to talk about, my God. See, now all of a sudden we're running out of uh, time. <laughs> you want to, well, one thing that you kind of want to tell us some success stories about uh, the compounding pharmacy and some of the things that you've done. And now I already realize that with the questions and the topics I want to talk to you about, you have to come back for another show. I would love to. Yeah. Thank you. Well, at least you have a place to stay. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very nice bed and breakfast. Yes, it is. (laughs) It was, too. Yeah. (laughs) I, I actually, rather than a success story, I'll just tell you about a couple of things that are out there that that are being done in okay. compounding. You bet. Um, a new a new product that not a new product an old product that we're using for uh, animals is uh, and it might sound a little weird but uh, we're using Viagra in cats and dogs oh. um, for yes because, um, because they're too flexible. <laughs> <laughs> no, you actually, stiffen them up a little. <laughs> so pul- pulmonary hypertension. Lo- right. Low dose, uh, again, low dose, but Viagra. Yeah, I think you want to do no. low dose. <laughs> 100 milligram Viagra is broken down into uh, 5 or 10 milligrams, and it's it's given to cats who have uh, terminal disease of, of its water filling up the uh, lungs. Oh, that's huge, in and, cats specifically. And it's, right. being, it's being tried in humans at this point, too. Huh pulmonary hypertension it's got a problem with with removing water from the lungs and we've done wonders with some cats and dogs doing that does it also help with uh kidney issues that uh, the, the the water build up especially a lot of a lot of cats die of kidney disease i don't know with all the dogs well the problem with this is getting rid of the water i'm not sure if it's doing any effectiveness on the kidney i okay. think it's it's helping to remove the the excess water it huh. might be stimulating the kidney i actually, actually i don't remember the mechanism right off so it's pulmonary hypertension is that what you call it yeah hyper okay hypertension all right viagra oh, interesting i know i figured everybody who would have known who would know <laughs> 
How did I figure that out? Yeah, Yeah, but are you going to share that Viagra with your cat? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe early in the morning, right before she goes to bed. Okay, where is this going? (laughs) Uh, And I'm off to work. I'll see you later. There you go. Um, Well, that's really kind of the biggest one. We we had some work years ago with using a a product that was used to to, uh, complex copper from the body. Oh, and you're uh, talking uh, again humans or animals humans okay it was a study done in michigan and the active ingredient is ammonium tetrathiomobilate it's actually called tm okay it was studied by dr brewer out of university of michigan we were compounding it for several patients it's uh long story short copper is used to make blood vessels blood vessels feed tumors uh, there's a proliferation of blood vessels when tumors are, are sprouting. Oh, complexing copper will help to theoretically will help kill the the blood vessels that are feeding the tumor. Therefore, it kills the the tumor. Wow, that's the theoretical thing. Brewery went into phase two, two studies, and then we lost track of what was happening. We don't know if Michigan bought the patent. What what's happening with it? But we had a lot of success in the very beginning using. TM for some cancer patients. Yes. Now, but when you talk about co- copper is an essential mineral, it, so it's not that we don't need it, but you say and talk about people who have too much of it. Exactly. It's reducing the amount of copper to a level that's still healthy for the individual, but starves the tumor. Huh. Theoretically, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Wow. No, hmm. so, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. There you go. All right. Well, then I come up with my questions. <laughs> no. um, let's see here. Oh, I well, got okay. To... While you're no, digging. No, no, no. It's really good. I, I mean, He's I talking about the blood vessels. Yes. Feeding the tumor. Yes. That's exactly what we're seeing on thermography. We are seeing that angiogenesis of the blood vessels feeding a tumor. That's what we're looking for, particularly in breast. Hmm. So there you go. That's interesting. It does tie together. Yeah. yeah. Um, compounding. Why has compounding grown in popularity in the last 20 years? Patient-driven. Patients oh. Patients want alternatives. Patients want to be able to talk to a treatment, a physician, um, and figure out what's going on with them. And so compounders alter, give them an alternate means of therapy. Who is regulating compounding pharmacy? It's supposed to be the state boards of pharmacy. Correct. That's what I was reading. However, um, because of the uh, debacle with New England compounding centers in in, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Congress basically was uh, inundated with, and rightly so, with the number of patients that they actually killed and and maimed um, with a solution. And Congress had nothing else to do but give it to the FDA. So... The FDA now is overseeing, uh, even though our state boards of pharmacy say that we can mail out of state, even though they say that we can do this and that, the FDA, being federal, say we can't. And so the states will obviously bow to the feds. Sure. Unfortunately. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened in New England. That was 2012 or something, it or 2013? Something, yeah, somewhere in the 12, 13. Um, they were a compounding pharmacy that basically broke every rule of compounding and that is they were compound they were manufacturing okay and they were manufacturing so tell the people the difference between manufacturing and compounding manufacturing is made for the general public compounding is made for individual patients okay so they were making large volumes of uh 
injectable products mm -hmm. shipping across the eastern United States. They ended up with a batch, several batches that contained a fungus. Yeah. The fungus, of course, and the medication was injected into the spinal cord. So what was injected into the spinal cord was tainted product with fungus. Wow. And so... They a lot of people died. They lost 60 or 70 patients somewhere in that area, and seven or 800 of them were hospitalized. Wow. Um, it was really a criminal situation because... But it had built, this had built up, right, over over uh, several years. These people were already under investigation, my understanding yeah, is, they, in they they were, invest they were They were routine inspection by the state board and the FDA. I don't know why the FDA was in there, but they were. Both of them wrote these people up for yeah. violations, but they failed to get back to them to see if they had cleared up the violations. And it was shortly after the, the uh, like a year after the inspections, something that area, that uh, the stuff started causing all the problems. So what happened was the regulation went from the state boards who won't fight the FDA, and it's now controlled by the FDA. And that's what's happened with shipping out of state. That's what's happened with a lot of different things as far as compounders being able to use their professional judgment to make decisions. I, I You know, I just, I have a feeling that maybe there was some hanky-panky going on over there, and I wonder if this was a, a, a setup trying to get this compounding pharmacy to make a mistake so that they could start regulating the compounding pharmacies again. Because my understanding from reading, there are about 7,500 compounding pharmacies in the country. Mm -hmm. there, there are not a whole lot of us. And it's going oh, to reduce. That's a lot to me. It's, well, I'm surprised. It, it, pharmacy, you have to remember, pharmacists started off as compounding. Yeah, I agree. And that's true. so there's still a lot of us older folks that still do a little bit of compounding. But yeah. myself... Rocky Mountain and a few others are strictly compounding. We do nothing but compounding. Yeah. Um, but you're going to see some some changes coming up too. There's a new thing coming out, which is called USP 800, which is regarding uh, hazardous drugs. Hazardous drugs, including all the estrogens, the testosterones, the progesterones. It's, Why are they calling them hazardous? Because they got an H on their body uh, on their bottle. So. Um, Unreal. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, that's one thing I would love to talk to you about again. We can do that about hormones because sure. uh, I, I, we need them. They're, we need hormones uh, until we die, Absolutely. and it is, it is the the loss of certain hormones and the increase of others that totally mess with our immune system and uh, the way we think. Agreed. Yeah. So good. 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 Well, thank you both for being here, Kathy and Tim. You're welcome. My pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Well, a very interesting show. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back next week, Saturday from 8 to 11 with Bert Golding. He's going to be talking about cell power. And uh, we have shows booked up for the next two months. I appreciate you tuning in today. We will be right back. Uh, not right back. We will be back ne next week. Have a good week. Talk to you then. The next generation of alternative medicine.